It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. Welcome to episode 23 of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. On this podcast, we're going to be continuing with the revelation of our calling to be heirs of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is God's manifested rule in this world. It is a spiritual sphere that encompasses the globe, and yet only those who are born again can access it, participate in it, manifest it, and help to advance the kingdom in this world. That is our primary agenda. Now I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 12. And verses 22 through 32, this is a story about Jesus healing a person who was blind and mute. And he cast the demon out of that person. His detractors said, this fellow casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. That is the most degrading and appropriate name for Satan that can be found in the Bible. Beelzebub means one of two things, either God of the dung or Lord of the flies. And both of those interpretations are fitting for the enemy. But listen to what was said, how Jesus responded to them. He said, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Now listen to the next part carefully. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Notice the phrase, has come upon you. See, when Jesus walked in this world, the way had not yet been made for men and women to be born into the kingdom and for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, to dwell within us. So wherever he manifested heaven's authority by casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, multiplying the loaves and the fishes, preaching the gospel, changing people's lives, forgiving sin, manifesting love, All that he did when he walked in the world was a manifestation of the kingdom of God and his way of establishing that kingdom in this world. But it could only come upon the people. It was not the point yet where men and women could be regenerated so that they could become heirs of the kingdom in a very powerful and pronounced supernatural way. See, the kingdom of God could only invade their space, but not dwell within them. Yet, when the kingdom came upon them, my, what an atmosphere it must have been. How fantastic it was to sense the kingdom of God permeating that scene, that scenario where the blind saw and the deaf heard and lives were changed. But Jesus has done so much more for us. And if the sick can be healed, if miracles can happen, if deliverance can take place when the kingdom just comes upon people, how much more? 
I need to repeat those three words. How much more should the miraculous manifest in our midst now that the kingdom of God dwells within those who surrender to the enthronement, if you will, of the King of Kings. When you offer him your heart, you're saying, God, come and sit on the throne of my heart and reign as king in my life. Release your kingdom into every sphere of my life, every area of my life, my finances, my possessions, my family, my career, my purpose, my future. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How powerful it is to live this way and to have this mindset and to walk as children of the kingdom in this world. Now I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes about what the kingdom of God is by telling you what it is not. That may seem a little confusing at first, but you'll see very quickly. There are two scriptures that describe the kingdom by telling us what it does not include, what is not an emphasis in the kingdom of God. The first is Romans 14, 17. Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to establish right from the start that this is not human peace nor human joy. It's not just a human emotion that's being spoken about. Neither is it humanly attained righteousness. These three things are supernatural acquisitions. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. What's that about? The Jewish people were very committed to the dietary laws, so much so that to a great degree it dominated their theology. And Paul was dismissing all of that and saying that's not what determines your access into the kingdom nor functioning in the kingdom. It's not about eating and drinking. Those were statutes that God gave to preserve the health of his people. Certainly, they are good rules to live by, but he was saying the kingdom of God is so much more. It's not about eating and drinking. It's about supernaturally imparted righteousness. See, the Bible said God made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And Paul said, let me be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but the righteousness, which is of God by faith. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, if you're filled with righteousness, that's not something you do. It's something God does. And it's not humanly attained. It is supernaturally transferred to you. See, the new man, the born again part of you, the regenerated part of you, the scripture says, is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the new spirit that God grants you when you're saved is saturated with the righteousness of God. And when you walk in the kingdom, first of all, righteousness is a part of your nature. You should automatically love what God loves, hate what God hates, and righteousness is not something you strive to attain, but something that's very much a part of who you are. It's your nature now 
to keep the Ten Commandments. It's your nature now to walk in right standing with God. See, it's all about God's character transferred to you because the king's personality saturates his kingdom. And if we're born into the kingdom, we're born into the king's personality. And that includes peace that passes understanding and joy that is unspeakable, which is so much more powerful and so much more important than religious rules and regulations and rituals. It's an encounter. It's a supernatural reality in your life that when the world around you is depressed beyond measure, you can emanate the joy of the Lord. When people around you are so anxious, they're falling apart and breaking apart at the seams, you can manifest peace that passes understanding that keeps your heart and keeps your mind. It preserves you spiritually, emotionally, and mentally because you're walking in a higher level of consciousness or awareness. You're aware that the kingdom of God is the preeminent thing in this world that will never be moved. All the other kingdoms will be moved, and we live in an age when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But the scripture also says, seeing that we've received a kingdom which cannot be moved. See, you are a part of the most stable institution in the world. You're part of something that will not be shaken no matter how chaotic the world gets. That's why we can be fearless. That's why we can walk in love when the world is full of hate and animosity and prejudice in fact, that's the nature of the kingdom. A lawyer came to Jesus and said, Master, which is the greatest commandment of all? And it didn't take Jesus long to sift through 613 commandments of the Torah and come up with the greatest one. He immediately reverted to Deuteronomy 6, 5, which is so important. Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then Deuteronomy 6, 5, that immediately follows it, says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he said, the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said something very strange. He said, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, he identifies the nature of the kingdom of God there. And that's why the scribe responded to him and said, true Lord, because to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So see, he's spiritually minded. He realizes religious regulations are on a foundational level, but the much higher insight is to walk in the character of God. And what was Jesus' response to him? He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. See, the way had not yet been made for him to be born again where the kingdom could come and dwell within him, but he was already recognizing and probably functioning in the principles of the kingdom of God. He recognized the supremacy of love, loving God and loving others. How simple can you get? And it forms a cross, the vertical beam of the cross 
is loving God with all your heart. The horizontal beam is loving others as yourself. That creates a cross where you die to self and it ushers in kingdom living into your life. Well, that's so important. Now, I told you I was going to give you two scriptures that describe what the kingdom is by telling you what it's not. The second one is 1 Corinthians 4.20. The first one was Romans 14.17, but the second one is 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Let me say that again. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Does that mean that teaching is not important? Well, that would make this podcast irrelevant, and every preacher standing in a pulpit is functioning in an area that is worthless. No, it's just balancing out the most important aspect of the kingdom. It's not just theology. It's not a philosophical view of life. It's not just ideas and concepts and ideologies. So often human beings reduce the New Testament to that. They make it just a belief system. But here Paul is saying, I'd rather come to you in the power of God than in all kinds of doctrinal disputes. Because the the moment the kingdom manifests, all resistance to truth can dissolve in a moment. I've seen it happen. The kingdom of God is not in word, but in power, dunamis power, the dynamite-like authority of God released in the world. Many years ago, I was in Kumbakonam, India, and I was the first Western missionary, according to my supporting pastors, to hold a crusade or to hold a Christian gathering in the middle of that city. There was a large gathering area inside of seven huge Hindu temples that surrounded that field. And we were there for about five days. And the opening night, I preached for an hour and it felt like I was being choked the whole time. There was such demonic pressure resulting from the spiritual ignorance of the people there. They didn't understand Jesus. Who is this Jesus? Born of a virgin, uh, dying on a cross. What's that all about? You could see it written on their faces. They were just unfamiliar for the most part with the truths I was trying to convey. And I knew intuitively by the Spirit that if I were to make an invitation at the end of preaching, that there would be very few responses. And I was troubled in my spirit because I could tell we had not yet broken through this spiritual barrier. See, all of my preaching and teaching and doctrine and creeds that I had explained had not yet broken down the satanic stronghold. But then a word of knowledge came to me, and I did not know how important it was. God said, call for the deaf and tell them if what you preached is true, every deaf person will hear again. And if what you preach is not true, they won't hear and they can throw you out of their city. Now, I'd like to tell you I was very bold in saying yes to God's directive, but I was trembling inside. Yet I obeyed. Thank God I obeyed or I would not be alive now, most likely. I put out that challenge, that Elijah-like challenge, and they brought me seven deaf people. Four of them were totally deaf. 
I began praying for one of the totally deaf individuals first, a 23-year-old young man who had been deaf for five years. I did not know that creeping up the stairwell behind the platform, where there were about 20 Pentecostal and evangelical pastors sitting, there was a group of six Hindu radicals that had determined they were going to do whatever was necessary to rid their city of my influence. And there was a big 20-foot high gate that was supposed to prevent break-ins with a great big padlock, but they had brought this sledgehammer. And right when I started praying for this young man who was totally deaf, I heard this crunching, crashing sound of the sledgehammer hitting the padlock. It was distracting me and everybody else on the platform. It was very hard to concentrate on praying for somebody to receive a miracle, and yet I'd hinged the whole night and the salvation of the people who would respond to that miracle taking place. I was fighting to keep my focus on what was most important. All of a sudden, the lock clattered to the concrete, the door swung open, six men came running toward me with this fierce look of anger on their faces, and at that precise moment, God was in charge that night. In the nick of time, that young man jumped out of my hands, threw his hands up in the air and started screaming, I can hear, I can hear. The crowd went wild with shouts of jubilant praise. And and all of a sudden, the leader of this radical Hindu group stopped dead in his tracks with a look of amazement on his face. And he walked over and began whispering into the young man's ears and getting him to repeat the words back and shaking his head, stunned because he recognized it was a real miracle. I did not find out until the next day that the young man who was healed was the next door neighbor of the leader of the Hindu radical group. Now that was the genius of God setting the stage for an outbreak of revival. He called his men over and they all tested the young man too and verified this is a miracle. I heard them talking among themselves saying it is really a miracle. So I just continued. I didn't know they were there with the intention of killing me. I asked them the next day when we met why they had broken in the back gate and they said we were going to rush you beat you up publicly, tie you to the bumper of our car, and then drag you through the city to stop missionary activity in our town. But God stopped the strategy of Satan by a manifestation of the kingdom of God. We prayed for the next six deaf people. They all heard again. I gave an invitation. Over 500 Hindu people came forward to give their lives to the Lord including the six men who came to beat me up and kill me. That that was their ultimate intention was to get rid of me altogether. Yet God brought them there. They intended it for evil, but God meant it for good because they were saved as well. They gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ because they could not deny the reality of the manifestation of God's power. Against 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. That one powerful demonstration of the king's authority shattered strongholds that had stood for centuries. 
Praise God. And revival broke out in that city, a spiritual awakening that was absolutely phenomenal. I've got two scriptures very quickly I'm going to share with you, and then I'm ending, because this is the mindset we've got to have if we're going to see the kingdom manifested. In Luke 16, 16, Jesus said, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. See, to get the benefits of the kingdom, you've got to press. You've got to push past your doubts, your fears, your depression, your discouragement, your guilt, your misery. You've got to push past your sense of failure. You've got to push past your sense of inadequacy and seize the kingdom and let the kingdom seize you. And then I love, love, love the next scripture. Matthew eleven twelve says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now that doesn't mean that you take it from God by force. God's already given you the kingdom. He tells his disciples, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So this is his delight that the kingdom be established in our lives. Well, who's trying to prevent you from receiving kingdom benefits? The devil and his host of demons. And you've got to take it from them by force. They have their strategies to try and prevent the kingdom from manifesting in your life. And you've got to be just as violent against them as they are against you. Don't ever allow discouragement to cause you to lay down your weapons and give up because you've got weapons, kingdom weapons that are superior to anything in the enemy's arsenal. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.